0: Welcome to episode 143 of the Fabulously Keto podcast and thank you to Nicola Locke and an an anonymous person for supporting my swim. Just to let you know how I'm preparing. Two weeks ago, I swam 2.2 kilometers and was in the water for about an hour and 45 minutes Um, and it was 16 degrees, about 60 degrees Fahrenheit. Because of the tide in the river that we're swimming down, I'm hoping that I'll only be in the water for about two to two and a half hours. And I've applied to swim without a wetsuit. So I'm hoping for a positive response to that. I shall let you know how, how how my application gets on. So today I'm interviewing Viv Hamilton and we met at the PHC conference in 2022. And in the interview... I said that this episode would be coming out when we were at this year's conference, but I had to delay the release um, as I didn't have time to edit it before going off to the PHC conference. And then last week we had the discussion about the conference, so hence listening to it today. So what I've decided is for people when their bio is very similar to the story in the episode, I'm not going to read it out beforehand. And this is one where Viv's bio is very much reflective of what she talks about in the episode. So I'd sort of be giving it away a little bit. So I'm not reading out her bio today, um, but it will be in the show notes if you want to go and read it. So let's go and hear from Viv. Welcome Viv to the Fabulously Keto podcast. It's fabulous to have you with us today.
2: I'm really happy. That's a new thing for me, but um, I'm sure it'd be great fun.
0: Yes, I am sure it will. I I love interviewing people that have never done podcasts before because they feel so worried about it in the beginning, but actually there's nothing to be worried about. So um, we always start with where
2: in the world are you? Well, I'm, I live in Essex, um, it's quite a rural part of Essex, but I'm sure um, listeners to your podcast will have heard of Freshwell uh, surgery in the village of Finchiefield, and I live in the next door village, Wethersfield, and uh, so I'm one of the luckiest people in the country because my local GP surgery is actually the Freshwell surgery. We're all envious, very
0: envious that you get a, a low-carb GP so, why don't you start by telling us about your story and how you how you came to low carb?
2: Yeah, um, I mean, I've been obese for about um, twenty years. I'm sure it's a sort of common story, isn't it? You start to gain weight in your twenties, and then you try and do what you know the authorities tell you, you should do, and you go low fat, and you you know you're eating things like bananas and um, baked potatoes, etc. And of course, it just got worse and worse. So, um, I very, you know, try to be dieting and again, the usual experience, I was able to lose weight for a short period of time. I'd lose perhaps a stone and a half or something. Um, and it got, and then it gets harder and harder and all the weight goes back on. So I'd had that experience for, you know, for about 20 years and and you reach the point where you think I'm going to be obese for the rest of my life. You know, that's just the way I am. Um, and, um, what actually happened to me was I had a very bad car accident, um, got quite badly smashed up. Um, and the, when I came around, the surgeon told me that, um, you know, it was going to take a while to re- rehabilitate myself. But he said more seriously, longer term, I was going to need a knee replacement because uh, the damage to my knee was such that uh, arthritis would set in. So he said within about three years, you're going to need a knee replacement. So I spent about nine months learning to walk and that was, you know, it, it was hard work it's a full-time job if you're rehabilitating yourself like that but it was positive because it was improving except that towards that end of that nine months the arthritis was setting in so things were getting worse again and i thought all i've got to look forward to is this getting worse and worse until i need a knee replacement so did you have that time-
0: sorry i'm going sorry. to interrupt you there so did you have to relearn to walk
2: did um, i or it- yeah what was what was that it, well I'd, I'd um but the knee was badly damaged and the pelvis was fractured um so and and obviously all the soft tissue is very badly shocked and down damp- and tendons and ligaments was were very badly torn and things like that um so uh i had to have t- i was it was 12 weeks non-weight bearing by which time obviously your muscle tone's gone no matter how you, how much you try and maintain it yeah and um and then i did have uh a physiotherapist um but I also saw an osteopath privately as well to, to, you know, to get more, more support. Um, and just that, um, you know, trying to build up the ligaments, trying to reduce the scarring. Um, it took a very long time. You know, I was, I was, initially I was hopping on a frame cause I wasn't allowed to put any weight on the leg. Um, and then after 12 weeks I was allowed to start, but it was took a long, long time for that leg to be able to take any weight, you know, with crutches and things. So when you started
0: putting weight on your leg, did you have pain, or just did the pain get worse as you came to your the end of your nine months
2: i I had a lot of i did have a lot of pain initially um that was things like you know the bone edema and the torn ligaments and tendons and things like that but all of those were improving and towards that sort of from about nine from about eight nine months, there was a different type of pain, which is the arthritis and people who've had arthritis, know what the symptoms are. You know, if you sit for a, a long period of time, or when you've been lying in bed, and then you go to walk walk on it, that's when you get severe pain. Mm-hmm. But it then eases off, and that's you know, it's a very specific type of pain that you get with arthritis. So, you know, I, I got to the point you know, initially I went upstairs with crutches, and then and then I didn't need the crutches going upstairs. That was great. And then the arthritis started and it was getting to the point again, I needed to have a stick when I was upstairs because when I got out of bed in the morning, I couldn't walk without a stick. You know, um, but it was very, you know, it's very recognisable that arthritis pain It's different from the pain that you get from the damaged ligaments and tendons, got it. which had yeah. been very improving. Yeah. Sorry. Carry on. <laughs> OK, so. About the point, I've seen um, the musculoskeletal expert at, at the surgery. I've had another MRI scan at the, the hospital and things, um, and the hospital was at the point of saying, "Well, come back in six months, and basically we'll put you on the waiting list." Um, and uh, the musculoskeletal expert was saying, "Well, you know, there might be things we could do, um, so you know, keep coming back." But about about that point, my husband went to see the the GP. He just had his a regular uh, blood test. And um, his lymphocytes were very low. And uh, this is Dr. David Oliver. Um, And uh, so the doctor said it could be the side effects of of one or other um, medication that he's on. Um, And he's on um, ramipril for blood pressure. Um, But he doesn't have high blood pressure, but he had a heart operation and an artificial valve fitted. So they put him on blood pressure medication just in case, you know, to keep so that the heart doesn't have any extra load on it. Um, and he said um, it could be a side effect of, of ramipril. Could be a side effect of warfarin, but we can't do anything about the warfarin, so let's try the ramipril. So we try taking you off the ramipril if you're willing to go on a low carb diet, because low carb diets tend to reduce people's blood pressure. So um, the information have been in Fresh Wealth for surgery for over a year, and I've seen this stuff about. Well, oh, we've got a new diet we're really excited about. And I thought, yeah, I've seen it all before. I know about diets. They don't work. You know, they work for a short time, et cetera, you know. So yeah. it all just kind of went over my head. I was so cynical about it. But Ian came back with this one-page leaflet about low-carb, and I thought, well, solidarity. He needs to do it, so I'll do it too. It's probably a good thing for me because I'm going to need this knee operation soon if I lose a bit of weight before the operation. You know, that's a good thing.
0: Yeah, I'm so, expecting um, to lose a stone or a stone and a half, I guess.
2: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Usually. I thought it was just another diet yeah um anyway so we've at that time um the doctors had got a one-page leaflet about with the basic ideas about low carb and the contact information and they'd just put up this new website the Freshwell, well uh, the low carb Freshwell website so and there's quite a good informa- information on that and as well as the website there were further resources you know books you could they suggested you read and things like that so we started following it and we we didn't throw ourselves right in because we read about keto flu and we thought well that'll put us off if we feel really rotten for the first week won't it so we thought what we'll do we'll cut out all sugar and we'll just halve the amount of starchy carbs um so we started doing that and i lost a kilo in the first week Mm. (laughs) uh and we just and we just carried on and, and as i read up the resources i'm not and this is really interesting because it's supposed to reduce inflammation. Well, arthritis is inflammation. Perhaps my knee won't be so bad if I uh, do this. So at that point, I got, right, I'm going to really, really follow this. I'm going to cut out all sugars completely. Um And I'm going to cut out the seed oils. Um, and we'll see how it goes. And, and I kept on losing weight. And gradually, um we went from, okay, we'll just halve the portion of pasta and things like that, to actually, you know what? When you when you halve your pasta, you put more vegetables in the dish, and actually the vegetables plus the sauce are the tastiest bits. The pasta yeah. is just there as filling, so so it wasn't actually a hardship to lose lose things like pasta. Um, I think the scary thing was that it totally sort of undermines all your your ideas about cooking and food, and you've got to rethink all, all your cooking and stuff. Uh, but um, I always say to people now, um, experiment with cooking. Because if you will find a low carb dish that you prefer to the old high carb one, so you're not actually depriving yourself if you prefer the the dish that's low carb by you. Yeah, exactly. And it doesn't take long. I think
0: what stops people, and and I know it stopped me, is the thinking that you have to live without that thing. And for me, well, it was three things: pasta, potatoes, and bread. Um, and it wasn't. Um, the hovis type sliced bread it was fresh bread from the local bakers which is lovely mm. that sort of thing um so that it's sort of in your head rather than in your taste you very very i find i found i didn't replace i didn't try to replace any of it so i found that i didn't miss it very quickly mm. I, I think about...
2: bread's difficult because we use it as a, such a convenience food. You know, like, what what am I going to do for a packed lunch if I can't make sandwiches? That sort of thing. Yes, uh, yeah. and you have to just completely rethink what a packed lunch looks like. You know, and, and it's not a, an alternative bread sandwiches. It's just, actually, what do you need for a lunch? <laughs> yeah, <exactly. laughs> salad, some salad leaves, some you know, maybe boiled eggs, some cheese. Yeah, <laughs> yep. yeah. So yeah, and and um, I don't know if what kept losing weight, and, uh, and then. Um, uh Freshwell hired these health coaches and set up a Facebook group, the health coach set up a Facebook group. And um, they introduced these new six-week courses. Now, I'd been doing low-carb for about three months quite successfully by then. And um, But they said, oh, we're going to start these courses. And I said, well, I've been doing it for several months, but can I still do the course? And they said, yes, of course. So that was another opportunity for me because partly, I mean, you could get a bit jaded by the time you've been doing it for a few months. And a lot of people, you know, a few months in will probably start to get carb creep and things like that. But I had this sort of almost new start. Oh, well, you know, more ideas uh, and the, the the interest of doing it with other people and with the health coach. Um, but the other opportunity was that um, you could ask questions that would get fed back to the doctors and get responses to the doctor. So one of the questions I was asking, you know, is this the same as other diets that I'm going to lose a certain amount and then it's going to get harder and harder and stop. And Dr. Oliver sent back the response, no, it's not. It's actually on the fresh website. It is different because you're not, you know, a calorie restriction diet, your body adjusts and lowers your metabolic rates and it gets harder and harder, but this is different. So, so that was an interesting question. But the other thing was I hadn't tried intermittent fasting at that point because I suffered from um, IBS and the traditionally for IBS, they say, oh, well, you know, don't go long periods without food, eat little and often. So I was quite, you know, is, is intermittent fasting going to be compatible with IBS? Yes. So again, that was another question I asked, and um, Dr. Andrews just responded to that. She says, no, actually, her experience is that people people's guts do better for a rest. Um, so by all means, try intermittent fasting. Um, so I did. So that was that gave me the confidence to to, um, to do intermittent fasting. And I think if I hadn't done that course at that point. I probably would have been plateauing a bit but but that extra of being able to do intermittent fasting just kept the weight coming down yeah so do you still do you do time restricted eating so you eat in a certain window of time that's an interesting thing um i've we have a small holding so most of my days i spend outdoors and i find i really need breakfast you you have half a breakfast and go out and work outdoors and what I find very easy to do is to skip lunch um, and then we have an, e- an evening meal. And that pattern of hearty breakfast, working outdoors, evening meal is something I've seen an awful lot of farmers do as well. It seems to fit that outdoor lifestyle.
0: Uh, yeah, but you're still not, you, you're you not constantly eating throughout the day as you were maybe eating more
2: often beforehand. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, One of the first pieces of advice on the Freshwell website is to cut out the snacks, you know, just just have the the three meals a day or whatever you're going to have, but you know, eat, only, only eat when you're hungry, and then eat until you're full and stop eating. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, we drastically cut out snacks. I mean, partly obviously once you cu- once you cut out ultra processed foods and you cut out cakes and you know sugar, so you cut out all the cakes and you cut out all the biscuits and you cut out all the all the crisps. Yeah, <laughs> that incentive. There's nothing to snack on. <laughs> yeah, that Please. that incentive because you don't need food, do you? It's 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 um. It's you know, not they're just designed to tempt you yeah yeah
0: so one of the things i'm really interested in talking to you about is that you're doing vegetarian low carb or lacto ovo vegetarian low carb so
2: tell us a bit about that were you vegetarian before yes yeah I've, I've been vegetarian virtually all my adult life and uh ian became vegetarian soon after he met me he said he preferred the food <laughs> so um so it, We did used to eat quite a lot of the sort of ultra processed vegetarian food though. Um, and, um, when I became vegetarian, it's a very long time ago now. It was in the days when you didn't find a lot of vegetarian food in the, in the supermarkets. So you had to go and shop at the little health food shops Mm -hmm. and the health food shops were run by people that were experienced in, you know, health food and and being vegetarian and stuff. So as a beginner vegetarian in those days, you've got this really good advice, um, from people. Who'd gone really gone into the subject, whole food people. Um, so it's it's very different from somebody who makes that decision now and thinks they can just walk into the supermarket and buy the sort of food that is labelled plant based, and and that's what being vegetarian or vegan is, is all about. And um, they don't, you know, they don't necessarily have the same understanding. So when I became a vegetarian, you were taught that you had to combine your pulses, your peas and beans. Um, with your whole grains, um, because they've got different profiles of amino acids, yep. uh, and if you're just having one or the other, you are not getting complete proteins. Yeah,
0: that's what worries but, me when people say they're vegetarian. Is that where where are you getting your protein from, and are you getting all the essential amino acids? Mm-hmm. And they they don't even know. But yeah, obviously, yeah. you've learned you learned how to combine food, combine yes yeah all the essential amino acids but most people
2: don't know it's worrying isn't it um zoe harkham i think in one of her books i read she said um i bet if you you know contacted all the sort of vegans and vegetarians there's not one percent of them would know about the profiles of amino acids mm-hmm. um, which is worrying but so so knowing what i knew about being a vegetarian it was actually quite scary to say i've got to cut out all the grains when i went low no carb okay because how am i going to be a healthy vegetarian and on low carb and there wasn't a lot about being vegetarian and being low carb so I started doing my own research uh and luckily I I realized that the the small seeds um chia seeds hemp seeds flax seeds things like that have got the same sort of amino acid profile as the whole grains would but of course they're nutritionally so much better than whole grains yeah (laughs) so um that that make it made it straightforward okay we have pulses uh, in a dish and we'll put some hemp seeds on it or some flax seeds with it or um things like that you know uh it it's it's really quite straightforward just eat plenty of seeds instead of the whole grains you would have eaten yeah so how do you
0: so now that you're low carb how do you do you measure how much protein you're getting and and whether you're getting all nine amino acids
2: essential amino acids that that rule of thumb of combine combine the pulses with the the seeds um, is the main one Um, in addition to help them being more a bioavailability they do say that if you have some of the complete proteins with them at the same time you will absorb more so having dairy foods um, or eggs or, or even mushrooms mushrooms are actually a complete protein because they're you know, mushrooms aren't actually in the plant kingdom. <laughs> there's yeah. plants, there's animals, and there's the, the fungi, which is a different kingdom between between plants and animals. And in so many ways, they're mushroom closer to animals than plants. Mushrooms actually produce complete proteins. And um, but adding that, even though even if it's not a huge amount of of uh, extra protein from your mushrooms, adding adding it gives you that sort of complete profile, and just helps your body absorb all the amino acids. Yeah, and I guess um, I am very confident sorry go on i'm very conscious that you need to eat plenty of protein especially as we get older we need more protein than we did when we were younger so um i do always think think a lot about the protein at each meal um
0: so what does what does a day so what's when you say a hearty breakfast what what does that look like
2: mm, um, yeah, usually i have um two poached eggs with some mushrooms and tomatoes and a sprinkling of uh, 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 oh, sorry. And then we'll have um, some Greek yogurt with some berries and a sprinkling of hemp seeds. So you're getting your protein from the eggs and the mushrooms the and the hemp seeds and the yogurt. Yeah, yeah. And and the profile of hemp seeds is quite good too. So that's quite a good proteiny breakfast.
0: Okay. Yeah. And then,
2: so supper. What does that look like? Sup. So, um, evening meal. We tend to do the cooked meal, um, and it could be anything uh, in we do sort of sort of make a compromise in that we eat corn um it's you know i don't it, it is in the sort of ultra processed range obviously because you wouldn't make it but if you stick just to the pure meat meat equivalent stuff you're actually just getting basically mushrooms with an added flavoring and and that have been texturized so it's not you know that, i know it's a compromise uh, ideally i wouldn't have to have any ultra processed food but it's a high-protein, it, it, you know, it's a high-protein food for vegetarians. So. Yeah,
0: and then combining it with vegetables and probably some sauces. Yeah,
2: yeah and probably more, more cheese, you know, cheese, cheese topping or something like that. Gratins, lots, lots of our dishes have gratins on it. Yeah. Um, or, you know, it seems like you can do a vegetable curry but have boiled eggs on top of it. Huh? Yeah. i never yeah. thought of putting eggs on the top of a curry, but... Mm, there's quite a few recipes that, you know, they do put um, chopped ball egg on it. A bit like Kedgeri you know. Yeah. A- and so
0: tell us how you now got involved in in the local um PCN and how you're helping in the surgery and things like that.
2: So um when the health coach got started at the Colm Valley, she started a Facebook group and I started joining in the Facebook group and then obviously she was she got very busy she had a lot of referrals she was running a lot of courses so I, and she was trying to put some material up on the facebook group as well so that it was sort of richer for resources we have we we've got guides in there and things like that so i said to her do you want me to help out with that so i started and she, oh, she was quite grateful for that so i started helping out doing doing the facebook group and then she got some zoom groups going and um, i did a little talk for one of the zoom groups uh and then um, she said to me that the plan was just to have a, a monthly meeting uh, for people who have face to face. This was because um, I, I went low carb in 2020 at the beginning of the COVID thing, so a lot of it went on during lockdown. Um, and as we came out out of lockdown, I thought, okay, it'd be nice to have a face to face meeting. But specifically, the doctors felt it would be nice if it wasn't them running the meeting or the health coach running the meeting, but it was one of the patients that ran the meeting. Um, so I put myself forward and said, yeah, I'm willing to do it um and at that point i i just come across the public health collaboration um and they were doing another virtual conference but i came across all their videos which were fantastic they, if uh, if anybody wants to look at look at a whole rich resource of videos about you know metabolic health the public health collaboration youtube channel is quite good but um i thought okay this is really good if i want to run a, a you know regular meeting for other patients um, I'll join the public health collaboration. Uh, and um, so that's another network of of like-minded people and are very supportive. You get asked, you know, sometimes I get asked a question that's quite difficult and or, you know, has anyone got experience of, you know, and you can uh, ask around yeah. other, other people with a similar experience. So I started then running that monthly meeting, um, which is a sort of educational opportunity. So we pick a topic or we'll, we'll have an outside speaker at those and then we got started to do some drop in sessions initially they were going to be the whole range of well being but actually everybody that turned up was interested in low carb so low carb took it over <laughs> so um me and another lady uh started running those drop in sessions so i don't i don't run all the drop in sessions the commitment would be too much now but um, uh, there are uh three drop in sessions sort of every two weeks at three different village uh, villages as well as this monthly meeting at the fidgety field. That's yeah. the educational one. Right.
0: And um, we met at the PHC conference and everybody will be listening to this episode when we're all heading up to Sheffield to this year's um phc conference. So that works quite well. <laughs> unless, sure. I, unless I have to reschedule it's coming out on the on the Thursday and we're gonna be at the conference. Are you are you going? Yes I'm going, yeah. Yeah. Um so we're gonna be there Friday and Saturday when this comes out. So that's great. Yeah. Um so Viv, one of the things I'd like you to share with the listeners is how much weight you lost um, being low carb and I know you've done it all through low carb so that would be really interesting for the listeners to know because it's a massive amount isn't it
2: yeah I've lost over six stone it's really transformed you know what I look like and how I feel yeah you know, I feel a lot like you not younger most of that I, I lost about five and a half stone quite steadily it sort of averaged about a, a pound a week um, and then when after I'd lost after I'd got to the point of having lost five and a half stone. It pretty much plateaued, but it's very, very slowly creeping down. It's the last bit of um, sort of tummy that takes a long time to get rid of. Yeah,
0: I'm struggling. And also, I've been off plan. We can talk about that because I've been off plan. But before we do, I just want to mention for our US listeners that's 84 pounds and 38 kilos for our metric yeah. listeners. Um, yeah, it's uh,
2: actually four. I'm actually lost 40 kilos. Um, and the interesting thing far. is, I have a small holding, as I mentioned. And the bags of animal feed, great big bags of animal feed, are 20 kilo bags. And I pick up one bag and it's heavy. And I think, I don't think, no, I, I can just, I couldn't pick up two bags. And I, you know, if somebody handed them to me, I could just about hold two bags. Yeah, but and think want- of walking around all day, every day with 40 kilos of weight. It's hard to grasp, man.
0: Yes, and I um I give I do sometimes I do talks and and what I'll do is I'll take weights, um, as in weightlifting weights of twenty because I've lost about twenty-five kilos, um, and I'll take a twenty five kilo weight and it's hard work, or if you're carrying a suitcase that's twenty-five kilos ish, you you think how how did I ever walk around with all that all the time and no wonder i struggled getting up the stairs and things like that yeah. and getting off up off the floor and all those things because and I, and I know it's different because it's it's a concentrated weight so a bag it's all in that one bag or the weight is all in that one weight but it's it i, I never tire of thinking about it really how yeah, much it's,
2: it's amazing it's so transformation and um the other thing perhaps i'll mention, I mentioned us sort of seeing an osteopath that helped me recover from my accident. Um, and I, I still actually see him cause I'm still he trying to heal the damaged tendons and ligaments in that knee. When, when was uh, this accident? When uh, did 2019, February, 20, uh, March, 2019. Yeah. yeah. So it, it's four years now. Um, but he, he of course has been there for throughout my whole low carb journey. So when I started losing weight, now he became very interested in it when he saw how I was losing weight. Um, and he's seen the transformation, and of course he's really happy because, from his point of view, I'm a much healthier individual. Um, and he's also saying, "Oh, look! Now you're losing all this weight around you—you you know, your, your waist, your on your, uh, your torso, etc. We, we need to do some work on your back because you've, you've lifted that load off your back. We can stretch your, your, your spine up a bit more now, etc. But he has been—he was so convinced by my story that he went decided to go low low carb and his wife went low carb. And he's also found that it's better for his gastric symptoms. And he just, he says, I feel better every day now. So he's now telling his patients about it, but of course he's an osteopath. So it's not his job to give nutritional advice, but he's quite happy because he just says, have a look at the Freshwell website. Don't take it from me. Yeah. (laughs) The Freshwell website.
0: It's fabulous resource. So Uh, What I was going to say is when we're recording this, this is the week after Easter and Mm -hmm. I have been struggling this last week with being on plan or choosing. I do choose supportive foods, but I'm also choosing what I call unsupportive foods. And I know you've had some struggles as well. So um, this is the Friday after Easter and I have put the date in the diary because I hadn't planned to come Off plan because not sometimes I do plan to come off plan and I set a date when I'm going to get back on. And I did plan to go on holiday and not be on plan, but then we went straight into Easter and lots of things going on. And I just lost the plot really. And it's taken me now all week to get to the point where it's I've got to put a date in the diary and get back on. So my plan is for tomorrow, I have got the last little bit of Easter egg left. Um, which I will have tonight, and then tomorrow I'm back on plan. So tell us about your some of your struggles that you've had.
2: Yeah, I think I, when I I mean I used to binge on sweets. I used to hide you know hide sweets so that he wouldn't see them. You know because I was feeling guilty about the fact. that I would, would always have a supply of sweets in the house. I'm the sort of person that you know if I open the packet of the biscuits I'm demolish the lot. You know? Yeah. So yeah, I'm sure we lots of us have that experience, don't we? Um, When I realized what the harm that sugar can do and particularly how inflammatory it was and with, you know, the issue of my knee, I decided to cut sugar completely. And I didn't go have anything with sweeteners in it because I didn't trust myself. I thought if I eat sweeteners, I'm just going to be in enjoyment. And I thought if I cut out sugars, my taste buds will adjust. So I went over a year with no sugar and no sweeteners because basically because I didn't trust myself but I do say to people I I think in a way in an odd sort of way I think I'm lucky because I had IBS I have always known that there are certain foods that other people can eat but I can't Mm -hmm. so monthly I put sugar in that list it was okay other people can eat it but I can't it's going to upset me yeah and it it was a mental model of dealing with it and I could do that so I went over a year like that And, and these days I will have the odd a you know, piece of cake when I'm out with friends or something like that um, but I don't have the same binge effect on it now the real mess up was for me was caffeine um, and I've always liked chocolate but I've always known I've got a problem with caffeine yeah um, when I was a teenager I discovered I had a, I, was, I was getting addicted to caffeine you know if I hadn't had my first cup of coffee the the day I was shaking and uh, getting headaches and and I you know, was drinking two or three cups of coffee quite rapidly in the morning. So I thought this isn't right. So I gave up caffeine at that point. So I know I've always had a problem with with caffeine, um, but I did seem to be able to tolerate things like cups of tea and stuff until mm-hmm. the IBS got bad. It was getting worse before before I went low carb. Um, and so I'd got to the point of uh, the only tea I will drink is um, is decaf Um etc. So yeah, you know, and that but that was because of IBS rather than because of thinking it's a caffeine effect. But when I went low carb, stopped having the chocolate that I used to eat, which would have been the you know the sort of main brand stuff, which is only about 30% chocolate. It's 70% sugar, isn't it? Yeah. So I didn't eat any of that, but I did have some of the very dark stuff. And so we used to eat the 90%, so we started eating 90% dark chocolate. And I oh I really like this. And I was eating more and more of it uh, and um in the old days, I might have had a you know a drink of hot chocolate at one of the costas or something like that, and I thought, well, can I make myself a a version of hot chocolate that, that I can have on low carbon? Yes, you can. you can use cocoa powder, you know pure cocoa powder and cream and
1: like maybe that a drop milk
2: of, um, yeah well, I make it with water I used to make it with water and cream, mm-hmm. um maybe a drop of orange essence or mint essence or something like that um really nice. Um, but then I found I was getting palpitations and suddenly I realized my blood pressure had shot right up. Uh, and it took me a while to work it out because I hadn't realized that there's caffeine in chocolate. Mm. And not only that, but the caffeine in chocolate is all in the dark stuff. So by switching to the 90% dark chocolate, I was at, you know, um, um 50 grams of 90% dark chocolate is, more than a very strong cup of coffee and i know i can't cope with a very strong cup of coffee so um i was actually poisoning myself i had to um contact doctor the doctors um because i was because my blood pressure shot back up and I, you know over, over the time of being on low carb i've I, I indeed prescribed most of my blood pressure medication um and i but i'd worked out what it was by then and i admit that i've you know i've really messed up on the caffeine i'm sure it's the caffeine anyway so Dr. Oliver said, well, well, we'll do a blood test at the same time and we'll you know, put you back on um, the medication and et cetera. We'll see what happens. When the blood test came back, they'd done an HbA1c as well, and I was actually in the pre-diabetic range. And I've never been in the pre-diabetic range before, ever. And how long had you been low carb at that point? Uh, about uh, two and a half years. And you were in pre-diabetic. Mm. And I was in the pre-diabetic range. So I went, went to see him. And I said, I'm sure it's the caffeine, and I've done all the research. The American Diabetic Association actually warns people about caffeine because it can mess your blood sugar up completely. It can either send it high or it can send it low. It doesn't affect everybody. We're all individuals. But it's interesting that the Americans warn people about it, but I haven't found any warnings on the UK websites about caffeine. Yeah, and I'd never heard of that before, as yeah, in caffeine yeah. affecting your blood yeah. sugar so so there's several things it can do it can stimulate the liver to produce glucose yeah um it can stim it can mess up and block the production of insulin which i suspect is what was happening with me um so therefore you're not your insulin doesn't go up therefore your glucose um just goes high yeah um uh and i think there's a mechanism where it can send your glucose down but i don't know what that that is but it, it's interesting i because of my hba1c had gone i then got um ordered one of the um continuous blood glucose monitors mm-hmm. Freestyle Libra and i wore that for two weeks to see what was happening and that was very reassuring i've had this high hba1c in the pre-diabetic range but um the wearing the freestyle libra by the time i'd cut out caffeine completely um was showing you know beautifully low really flatlining sort of um, blood glucose um but during that time so so because i'd given up caffeine i decided to give up even decaf tea because you've still got some caffeine decaf has got a trace of caffeine in it it's not it's not zero caffeine so i'd started i think I'll, i'll have hot water with a splash of milk in it so Mostly I was drinking that, and that was flatlining. The The milk wasn't raising my glucose at all, and I had a cup of hot water with glucose in. During that time wearing the, the monitor, I had one cup of real tea, which would have had caffeine in it, and sure enough, the glucose spiked when I had that real tea. Wow. Yeah, I,
0: I mean, I I think I've heard of people getting blood sugar spikes when they have coffee and tea, but I didn't realise how much – but I guess it, yeah. everybody's different, and yeah. different people are going to have different responses. But yeah. so, and so nowadays, do you have any caffeine at all? Do you have a little bit of
2: chocolate occasionally, or so? Um, I'm um for three months completely, I cut it out totally. Um, and I've now I'm sort of okay. Very, very occasionally, I might have a little bit of chocolate. But what I did discover, because I love chocolate, is um, the caffeine is in the dark stuff. So potentially, you can have white chocolate. But, of course, most of the white chocolate you find is, is absolute rubbish, isn't it? It's all the sugary stuff. So I started making my own white chocolate. And um, for the community, we decided to do some cookery demos before um, in, in March. So I did one of those. And um, I made white chocolate bark for everybody. who taught people how to make white chocolate. And quite a number of people said, oh, right, we're going to have this barista. We're going to make some of this barista for our grandchildren or whatever. Yeah. Yeah.
0: um. Yeah, I didn't think about white Oh, God, I'm learning loads of things today, see? (laughs) Um, I didn't know that white chocolate, I'm not very keen on white chocolate, unless it's a milky bar, but I can't Mm. have those anymore. Um, I never thought about it not having caffeine. Yeah. So it's it's whatever makes it dark is whatever makes it the brown, dark brown colour is what has the caffeine in it. The cocoa powder,
2: the dark stuff, has got the caffeine in it,
0: yeah. Wow.
2: Excellent. So yeah, you can make your own white, white chocolate, and uh, and then that's fine.
0: <laughs> ah, yes. Maybe we need a a white chocolate masterclass. Can you do it on on audio? <laughs> Good. So I'm just going to go back to you being vegetarian, um, and we're in a phase of of our evolution where the powers that be i think is where it comes from are pushing us to be vegan and and so the marketing messages around everything is vegan plant based um how
2: do you feel about that what do you think about that i find it very worrying and you might be surprised that a vegetarian is worried about you know being pushed to be in plant-based food Um, but the reality is every single one of us are different and i think we should have the choice to eat it's my personal choice to be a lacto vegetarian Mm -hmm. and it works for me but it doesn't necessarily work for everybody there are people i've met who really seem to be totally intolerant of plants and they've adopted a carnivore diet and that's making them well and that should and that needs to be their choice it's their choice it's their essential choice. They need it to be healthy. You know, you wouldn't force somebody who had celiac disease to eat gluten, and uh, somebody who finds they're intolerant of plants needs to have the choice to be to be carnivore. Although I'm vegetarian, I'm quite happy in our community support activity. Uh, you know, to tell people about eating meat and fish and how you know what excellent sources of nutrients they are. And things like they say, you know, when I'm telling them not, not to use seed oils, they say, well, what do I cook with? Well, I say, you could use lard. That's cheap. You know, I'm quite happy to give that advice to people. It's my personal choice how I eat, but I'm not going to impose that on other people. But what really worries me about this plant based movement is the huge amount of commercialism. And most people seem to think that to eat plant foods, you just walk into the supermarket and buy a packet that's labeled plant based without understanding um how healthy it is for them without understanding anything about the amino acid profiles i've i've looked at the those packets and you can't necessarily tell what the the amino acid profile of that packet of that food is so you don't know whether you're getting complete proteins or not and also they tend to be very low in proteins if you look at um even you know there's a sort of plant based fish fingers or a plant based chicken nuggets or whatever and compare the plant based one with the meat based one the protein in the plant-based one will be really, really low. Mm. And that's not even considering the bioavailability, bioavail- which brings it down. Yeah. So somebody that doesn't understand it, that is just buying that and thinking it's equivalent, it's not equivalent. Um, it's um, very low.
0: And, and like you said, you're you're getting your protein partly through eggs and dairy, but also the combination of – and cheese, sorry – Um, the combination well dairy that is cheese Um, the combination of mixing that with your hemp seeds and flax seeds and things so that you you're sort of getting a the higher um, protein availability because you know I I come I'm where I am because I did go through a phase of being vegetarian and not only was I vegetarian I didn't eat any protein because I basically lived on pasta and bread and potatoes and vegetables um so I don't know where how my body survived without any protein it's probably why it sent me hunting for for meat after about nine months <laughs> um but now my preference is is more meat than vegetables and I forgot what I, where I was going with that so that's interesting <laughs> um no it's gone It. It will come back at some point. But, um, yeah, I I have no idea where I was going to go with that.
2: (laughs) We can edit that bit out. (laughs) (laughs) And I might leave Um, it. (laughs) Um, Go on. Sorry. Sorry, I mean, the other bit is, okay. protein is a biggie because as a vegetarian, I, I have to work harder at making sure I get adequate protein and I've got lacto over sources of protein. Um, but the other thing is all the rest of the micronutrients, you know, things like vitamin B12, the, the fat soluble B vitamins. I get, you know, I get plenty of those from eggs and dairy. Yes. Um, and really and, and the protein. choline that you can get from eggs that you can't get from plants. Yeah. If you cut them out, you are really at risk of being deficient in all sorts of things. Yeah. I see an awful lot of a, a really worrying trend. A lot of the carnivores, when you look at them, they're people who were vegan and it's almost as though they've done so much damage to their intestine that only a carnivore diet will now um uh, look after them yeah yeah and uh, whereas if you stick to being lacto over vegetarian you seem to be okay (laughs) yeah yeah that's an interesting
0: thought that that they've done so much damage i do i do worry and um about people because i I think the marketing message and I think that's the important point is it is a marketing message is around plant-based and being vegan and and that people are they're being pushed towards it by these big commercial pea protein type um producers um and some of them are big names in the world and there's no, there's no real science behind it. And if we go back to, and this might be where I was going, is if you think back more than ten thousand years ago, before we even started cultivating crops and food, um, we would have lived on meat. That would have been, and fish mainly, and, and coastal areas would have been fish, and inland, probably meat, we would have hunted meat. And we wouldn't have had access to lots of vegetables available. We would have had Mm -hmm. some berries, we would have had some things growing throughout at different points of the year. So we wouldn't have had the same foods day in, day out. And I think we need to remember how we got here. And all these marketing messages, messages around veganism, and plant based and This is very new. We don't know the long-term consequences of what that's going to be. And part of me, and I'm very cynical, is part of me thinks that the big pharmaceutical companies and the big food companies are pushing it because it's a money spinner and there's no money in health. There's only money in sickness for the pharmaceutical (laughs) companies. And people, yeah. and the food companies want you addicted, so they're making they're engineering them to be addictive, um, and and so that's coming from a place of commercialism rather than health, and that's what worries me.
2: I, I, I'm not sure if I go quite so far as to, you know, the food companies want to make you sick so that the the pharmaceutical companies can profit, but certainly, you know, it's perfectly rational to remember that a director of a company has absolutely no legal obligation to think about whether he's going to make his customers healthy or not. The mm-hmm. only legal obligation on the director is to think about the, the profits and the, the size of the company, the growth of the company, for the shareholders. Absolutely. So they are interested in profit and the growth, and the growth of sales. Yeah. And the health of the consumer really doesn't matter to them. Yeah, They are not in the business of making, of, of designing the best, healthiest product for you to buy for your meal. No
0: they're looking at the bottom line and and i think the other important thing to say is that they are the ones that are paying for a lot of this research so when you're looking at the research who's paying for that and it's quite often the big food companies that that are that are funding it mm. and if you don't say what they want to hear you probably won't get any more funding <laughs> <laughs> so there's a there's an incentive there to be biased and people take this as truth and then so they're then basing their decisions on science that may not be strictly true and lots and lots of marketing messages and Mm. and not really learning about i have no problem with people being i have no problem with people being vegan if they if that's what they want to do but long term you know that it is a concern especially if it's people that i know that are don't understand the implications um but you know with vegetarian you can make it work you're making it work and we had yeah, on,
2: yeah.
0: Uh, a few weeks ago Verena, who's making it work um but she's still eating you both of you still eating very healthily um in a low carb way but still getting the protein
2: mm. I've I've never uh, people always worry that vegetarians are going to be anemic Uh, and all the years you know I've been a vegetarian now for 40 years I've never been anemic used to give blood regularly things like that so uh, you know I think I think it depends partly on making you know the right food choices to eat healthily but I think I suspect there's a huge amount of your own genetic individual genetics and microbiome and everything else and clearly if i've never been anemic then my body's quite good at absorbing iron albeit at a lower level in the diet than i would get if i was a meat eater but um, but it, it's not going to work for everybody You think you've got to know yourself whether you can tolerate it
0: yeah and we had on lisa bailey have you met lisa
2: no i don't think i have
0: because she's a um part of i think she's part of the phc as well um but she's a primal health coach and um she was vegetarian for 27 years but she she came stopped being vegetarian because she was so sick Mm. um so i think that was episode number nine and then we had a replay and then we did another episode with her last year as well um but she now is totally carnivore
2: Mm.
0: and mostly raw carnivore as well. so she's went from one extreme to the other in a way. Yeah. So you do have to do what works for you. And, yes, yeah. And, and I, I think I... the
2: people who, who are worried about the environment and, you know, is meat eating a bigger impact on the environment? And, and there is a problem with unsustainable farming, but there's an opportunity of having regenerative farming, mm. um, meat, meat farming. Um, and in regenerative farming, you know, all the regenerative farming, says it's really important to get the ruminants on the land. Um, That's the key thing, Um, but the other side of that environmental question is: if your diet makes you sick, what is the environmental impact of being sick? You know, because every Mm -hmm. time you go into hospital, there's a vast amount of um, single-use plastic used, isn't there? If you, if somebody's on, um, you know, gets diabetes and they're on insulin, yeah, that's a big environmental cost. One of one of the people in our community asked the doctors to work out what the saving on just their drugs was and it was 1500 pounds per year just on the drugs that were deprescribed for one person wow yeah
0: and we and we've seen a lot of the cost savings that dr david mm. unwin has had in his mm. surgery by deprescribing
2: yeah yeah um, and so but the an environmental cost with it it's not just money yeah. cost yeah because they what does that represent in, in carbon in plastics and yeah exactly.
0: yeah there is all other aspects of it that you know you, you think about the savings to the NHS in terms of deprescribing but like you say the actual manufacturing that goes into producing all of that and probably some of it is coming from halfway around the world in aeroplanes and ships and things like that. So, yeah, yeah there is a massive impact that we
2: yeah.
0: don't necessarily think about. And I think, you know, some people think about this one cow that's been killed, but what they don't think about is the thousands of animals that are killed when they're monocropping food, you know, a growing a, a plant or whatever it is, whatever cultivating they're doing um and all the spraying that goes on and the all the wildlife that is being killed through that through that cultivation of that crop so mm. it's, they're thinking about a cow but they're not thinking about all the other animals and the knock-on effect that that is having to our environment of killing those animals as well
2: yeah yeah and as a lacto over vegetarian i mean you can criticize me I've, I've, I've drawn a line at one point in saying i'm not going to eat eat the flesh of the you know the animal clearly i'm um, drinking having dairy produce um and that means you know there's a dairy industry and if there's a dairy industry it's going to be connected to a meat industry mm-hmm. and i you know and that's the right thing to happen because it's efficient and these days it really is efficient because they uh they sex select don't they and the um so the, the male cal- calves that are born are always crossbred with a beef uh pedigree animal so that you get are calves that are going to be raised for beef, and the, the, the female ones that are born are born to the best dairy cows, and they're the replacements for the herd. So, you know, yes, me choosing to eat uh, dairy food is connected to a meat industry. I personally am choosing not to eat the meat, but I'm happy to support other people to eat the meat, and let's hope that that all is part of a sort of regenerative farming. I try and buy organic when I can because I can't find enough labels of you know this is a regenerative farm. Uh, and and you you've got a small holding so what are you
0: growing uh, on your small holding
2: and is it just we, for your
0: use or do you sell any of it uh,
2: different we we actually have alpacas um they were an animal i could raise that in this country at least generally isn't turned into meat um, and the goal with alpacas is, is, a, is to make a sustainable fiber industry um they are actually very efficient producers of fibers, but there's a lot of breeding going on at the moment to make them even better at, at, at that. So,
0: where does so um, educate me? Where do the what fibers from? Is it from their
2: coats or? It, yes, yeah, like sheep, you shear them once a year. Um, but they're they're, um, they're they produce a luxury fibre, it's a very high grade fibre. It's um, people tend not to be allergic to it. Lots of people are allergic to wool, but not to alpaca. Um, And potentially, you can have an animal that produces a beautiful quality of fibre for its entire life. Um, With sheep, the quality stuff that only comes off, you know, the very young ones. Um, So, yeah. So we breed. So that's the that's the breeding aim. It's to get more more higher quality uh, fibre off off the same animal, and for it to do so for its entire life. Mm, Interesting, right?
0: (laughs) Viv, is there anything that we haven't mentioned that you wanted to talk about today i think we've touched on an awful lot of topics We have. <laughs> i can't think of anything we missed and so tell the listeners how they can connect with you
2: um i there's a link i think you're going to put on the profile isn't there which is um to the facebook group for the colm valley low carb support group mm-hmm. um, is targeted at the cold valley we're very happy for extra people to join in in fact we encourage people who join to say bring your, you know your friend family my friends to join can join too because it, it it is a real community um i do have a twitter account i'm not a great twitter user i just occasionally will re- retweet something that i think is important or that i really want to support
0: okay so is um do you know your twitter handle yeah, it's Viv Hamilton one. <laughs> Viv Hamilton one. Okay. Yeah, just anyone who maybe doesn't want to go through to the show notes, and they can just connect with you if they want to. But you, like me, don't don't go on Twitter very much. So <laughs> <laughs> great. So let's finish
2: with your three top tips. Okay. Um, tip number one: We are all individuals. Um, so I think I always tell people in our community. When you go low carb, you don't have to do everything in week one. You you can use the time as you start your low carb journey to experiment. And if you experiment enough, you'll find a low carb meal that you prefer to the old high carb one. So it doesn't have to be that you're depriving yourself at all. Uh, But we have different. It's not not just diabetisms that different different constraints on a lifestyle. So find what is convenient that fits in with you i I buy the supermarket for frozen cauliflower rice because it's useful to have a convenience food that you can quickly make from the freezer yeah Um, make it make it fit into your lifestyle as well as fit your metabolism yes great yes um tip number two stay away from ultra processed foods I'm a little bit of a fan of um, Tim Spector on his uh, talking about the microbiome, and I think you know I don't need to tell you. Have a look at what Tim Spector says about the the impact on your microbiome of ultra processed foods, or read Robert Lustig's books about the impact of your um, ultra processed foods. It's not just what's added to the food or taken away; it's what's done to the food, which is what Robert Lustig says. Yeah, yeah,
0: and and sometimes it's you know when we think about grains, it's the fact that they're just being pulverized into. Um, very finely as well yes. that that creates that impact on blood sugar that maybe otherwise wouldn't if they weren't
2: yeah I, I tell people that you know the, the insoluble fiber that you get naturally in foods if you're eating whole seeds for example um, it can kind of smuggle some of the carbohydrates through your stomach so that that carbohydrate can feed your microbiome instead of feeding your stomach and your and going straight into your glucose, but if you grind that micro that uh, insoluble fiber up you know or make a smoothie with it or whatever it no longer can do that yeah yeah
0: so the how how you how you eat that is definitely um impacts on your body yeah great and, tip um, and
2: the third tip is caffeine <laughs> be aware <laughs> that caffeine can affect you. it may not affect you at all, but we're all individuals, and for some people it can disre- dysregulate insulin completely and it can stimulate the liver to produce glucose, so it can produce sugar spikes
0: yeah, and that's and again that's everybody's just got to test and see how it affects them really mm. lovely Viv. thank you for being with me today.
2: Thank you for the lovely chat. I've enjoyed it. Great. How was your experience? Your first experience of podcasting? It. You were absolutely right. I enjoyed it, and it just became a natural conversation between two people that are interested in the same topic. You know, and it's low carb, which is so important.
0: Yeah. Fabulous. Thank you. Thank you for being here. As you probably know, I'm very pro-meat and I look at diet through the lens of what would we have eaten tens of thousands of years ago before we started cultivating crops. We wouldn't have had extensive access to plants and would have mainly survived on animals and fish, often fish as we migrated round the world along the coasts. And it was when we learned to hunt animals rather than just be scavengers that our brains really grew. That said, I enjoyed my conversation with Viv and also previously with Verena because I think it's important to hear other people's perspectives, even if you don't agree with it. And I love that Viv has looked into the protein to make sure she's getting all the amino acids Plus, she's also eating dairy and eggs to supplement her protein intake. It was also great to hear how she thinks that cows are an important part of our ecosystem. Whilst she doesn't personally want to eat meat from the cows or any other animal, she recognises that cows and sheep play a role, especially in regenerative farming of supporting the soil and the wildlife, including bees and other insects. Viv made me think about something that I hadn't considered before, which is what is the environmental impact of being sick. Once she said this, it was like it was really obvious um, of the some of the environmental impacts, and you can see that I I grabbed hold of that and ran with it because I hadn't considered that before but it definitely does being sick definitely does have a impact on the environment. So I'm glad I have now got another way of thinking about environmental impact of being vegetarian, because I often think about, as I mentioned in the episode about all the animals that get killed, not, you know, we might not kill a cow, but thousands of animal, other animals and insects get killed. Um, so it was I really enjoyed that. So thank you, Viv. So if you want to go to the show notes and it w- will include, Viv has sent me the link for the white chocolate. Um, if you go to fabulouslyketo.com forward slash podcast forward slash 143.
1: search for fabulously
0: keto on facebook our facebook page is called fabulously keto and you can follow us there or you can follow us on twitter our handle is fabulously keto or follow us on instagram fabulously keto one did you enjoy the show let us know you listened by tagging us in your insta story or instagram post using the handle fabulously keto one and the hashtag tfkp